this ended up being uh, Jeffrey's last record with LTD, right? Yes. So um, when did that sort of get brewing? Uh, was it apparent when this was being made that he might go solo or how did that materialize? Uh, he did give us a fair warning that he wanted to do a solo uh, thing. So he promised us one more tour and one more album. So we, we did the album and we went out and promoted it and toured and that was his last album and last tour. What, was it the kind of thing where the label was, was urging him to do that or was it kind of from within him or? Well, he, he from what I understand, he had uh, outside influences encouraging him to go out on his own as well as, you know, putting it in his head and, and that sort of thing. And I imagine that, you know, when you have a large organization like that, uh, that was democratic and wasn't run by just any one person, and after all those years together, you eventually get to the point, I would think, anyway, that you want to do your own thing. And I just think all of those things culminated and he just made the decision, you know. I, and I wished him well. I wished him, you know, I said, Jeffrey, go ahead, man. Do your thing, man. It was happening with a lot of groups around that time from the 70s and the 80s, uh, most notably with like Lionel Richie going on his own from the Commodores. Um, and, and from my perspective, I felt like the labels were pushing a lot of that because they thought they could maybe, you know, have more hits this way or whatever. So I was just curious. I never knew how it went down with LTD. So, Well, I, I think you're on to something. Um, I think one of the influences was certainly from the record company uh, to give him the option, you know, and then, of course, there was a period when we were both on the label. So that, of course, benefits them. <laughs> they, they now got, uh, you know, uh, two acts um, that, are, that are known that they can push. Um, but it is sort of a conflict of interest, and we realize that. Um, so... We made our last deal with him, knowing that it was the last deal because we knew they were going to pick him up. And so we made a nice, strong last deal with him, which we got a great production budget and we were able to make our transition with singers and that kind of thing. Right. So that record without Jeffrey was uh, Love Magic in 81. And um, you guys still had pretty good success with it. Um, yes. Yeah, there was a hit single and... Um, the, the first uh, half of that record is like a real like party yes. uh, kind of thing. And then the back half is more mellow. Um, but um, Kicking Back was a real slamming funk song. Uh, Burning By high. the way, um, Kicking Back is in the new Hugh Hefner documentary, American Playboy, along with a couple of other LTD songs. We've had some great uh, placement of songs uh, this year. We have a couple holding on and uh, back in love, I think, is in Big uh, Boss Baby, uh, the movie Boss Baby. So we've had some good uh, success in this in the cycle of songwriting. You guys saw you had cutting up on there, which I know was done by General Kane. Right. Um, did you guys do that first or did he do it first or how did that come about? He did it first, and we heard it. Actually, I'm not sure if he released it before us, but we heard it as a demo, and we loved it. So we had, we uh, cut a deal with him to get it, and, and then we put it on there. I'm not sure if his came out first. It might have been almost concomitantly or, or right around the same time, but um, I believe it was a demo when we got it from him. 
And I noticed you guys got uh, more production credit on this one. And also Michael Stokes is listed. Um, yeah. Yes. It was a co-production yeah. with Michael Stokes. He was uh, A&R at the label at the time. And um, he was, uh, you know, on, on our side and, and willing to help us because it was very crucial. Here we are with new lead singers and, you know, new stuff um, without Jeffrey. So it was very crucial. And uh, he was helpful. He had great production ideas. And we sort of together put that record together. And those the lead singers were from another group, right? New Birth. Yeah, we had Leslie Wilson and New Birth. And then we had uh, Andre, who was from the Dick Griffey stable over there. Solar. Yeah. So I'm guessing you guys maybe had some mixed feelings about this record because you're probably thinking <laughs> it was uh, an opportunity to, to really uh, extend yourselves and do something different and have a new start. But the, but also probably uh, with Jeff gone, we're we're having mixed feelings about that. How how did you feel about how the record turned out, and you know, what were your thoughts about it? I guess well, in hindsight, me, we could be proud of it. You know, we, we knew it was an uphill climb. We were aware of that. You know, after Jeffrey and uh, you know his influence. So, what do you think, John? Well, for me it was very different from anything that we had done together as, as a group. I mean, the tracks were done very well. My, like Carl said, Michael Stokes had some great ideas, but um, cause Leslie Wilson had such a very strong, very distinctive voice. It took me a minute to kind of, you know, get used to that. I mean, he's a great singer. Do, do not misunderstand me very strong but it uh i was kind of worried that people might mistake us for another group so but it turned out to be pretty good you know so here's a funny incidental story scott uh the first review <laughs> i know where you're going girl i already know where you're going <laughs> the first review we saw of um of kicking back was osborne never sounded more gritty <laughs> <laughs> How did you guys feel about uh, Jeffrey's first record? And, and were you guys still friends? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, I the only thing that I can say about I thought his record was great. I just thought he had moved away from where we all started in terms of. Uh, Music, the type of music that he was recording, and but it was it was great music. I loved it, and of course, his voice. As far as I'm concerned, Jeffrey is one of the most prolific, one of the greatest singers to this date. You know, not because I worked with him, not because he's a friend of mine. It just is, you know. And uh, I thought the music was great. Um, he had some great players. He used all top guys, and it, it was fantastic. I. Just don't think it did for him what he would have liked it to do. Yeah, he was always, always, I didn't say this before, but always and still one of my very favorite male vocals. Oh, absolutely, man. Absolutely. I second that emotion totally. Um, <laughs> his, his, his voice is so unique. His phraseology, his, uh, his approach. Um, you know, I used to hang, we used to hang out. I 
gave him trumpet lessons. His father played the trumpet and, you know, we would kind of run around the track every morning. We talk about a lot of things. And one time I asked him, hey, who influenced you, man? Where do you, because you're so different in your approach. And it was funny to hear his, his influences. It was Gloria Lynn, Sarah Vaughn, and Sarah people Vaughn, like yeah. that were his uh, influences. And of course, we can't leave out Stevie Wonder because who did he not influence? But and 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 uh, Donnie Hathaway. If mm -hmm. I were to name four or five people, those would be the ones that influenced that he said were big influences on him. And you can hear a little of it. But again, he's totally different from all of them. I hear a little bit of of everybody's influence. Wow. Yeah, those are great influences, but he is a unique talent himself. Um, so you guys left AM, uh, ended up on um, Mon Montage Records. I'm not sure what that was part of, but uh, did another record in '83 uh, for you. And John, were you not involved in this one, or were you still? Um, I left the group uh, shortly after that, and uh, actually, I toured with Jeffrey for several years after that. Um, that for me, uh, things just weren't, again, LTD was great. One of the reasons LTD was great was because it was a democracy. Well, when you are in a democracy and decisions are being made that you don't particularly, uh, with, what do you do? You, you leave, you leave the democracy. And that's what I decided to do at that time. And, um, I was Jeffrey for several years after that, although I eventually came back to LTD, but that's what happened during that time. Was, was he, was Jeffrey doing a lot of uh, LTD songs as part of his act at that time? Jeffrey will never be able to get away from that. I mean, that, that was the height of his, his, his success. And he just, he can't, even to this day, um, the most audience re response he gets is from the old LTD material. He'll never be able to get away from that. Hey, Carl, you were a uh, credit as producer on this record. And, you know, what was uh, going through your mind at the time? And, and what do you recall about the experience now looking back? Well, production to me is always exciting and uh, daunting, but exciting. Uh, we were lucky enough to do it at Kent Duncan Studio, which I'm sure you know, uh, the premier studios where Quincy recorded. We actually used Quincy's producer on the record. Um, so that in itself was just like being in heaven, uh, you know, uh, and uh, to, to go through the process. But again, choosing songs and, and uh, performing them and producing them was, was a daunting experience, but very educational. And uh, I've gone on to produce other people and other stuff. In fact, I'm in the middle of a production right now, uh, but it's just my life and I love it. So I didn't think too much outside of it. You know, I was in the middle of it, enjoying it and, and, and solving the problems. That's why I didn't have the overview of, you know, if it was going to work or how great it was. I, and that's how I live my life, kind of. I, I live it from the inside out. Uh, like one of my friends said, man, you're not a musician. You are music. And I, <laughs> I kind of thought about that. <laughs> and he's right, because I don't know how to do anything else. Don't ask me to change a tire. Don't ask me to do nothing else. But music has been my life, and, and I love every moment of it. Well, that, that record um, was a real reflection of the time. So many groups at that time were being heavily influenced by Prince and the Minneapolis sound coming in, 
and the move to the synthesizer and away from the That's horns. Yes. Um, How do you feel as a horn player, kind of, with 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 that transpiring? Yeah, I, as a horn player, I was starting to get to get displaced, uh, you know, on on as a sideman, as a, a session near, you know, you were getting displaced by. But at the same time, you knew it wasn't real, and it was just kind of a a flim flam put over on the audience, you know, like replacing horns with synthesizers. Um, you know, I love sound and I love synthesizers. I love the study of it, the science of it. But I mean, it's not a replacement for a live musician, and, no, and we always all. felt that way. And then, then that's where the trend went. The horns became a little obsolete and out of uh, fashion, and the synthesizer sort of took over. But you know, those are, are periods that we go through in, in music or any other genre for that matter. Now, why did that end up being the last uh, LTD studio record? I think attrition, you know, just um, years and years. And uh, it was time. And also the music industry was changing. And as you <laughs> know, it has totally changed. Um, so it became almost not, uh, it wasn't sexy anymore <laughs> to be out there trying to, you know, get record deals and, and the whole structure of deals. Now record companies wanted you to produce all of your stuff totally and bring it and make a deal. So they weren't giving any record um, uh, budgets to, to, to produce records. And you had to come up with your own money and do it. And, and that, that brought other problems on, you know, the management borrowing money and stuff. Not only that, back in the day, they used to, record companies used to, to, to I don't want to say support the acts, but they used to lend a helping hand to the act. Artist development is the words right. I'm looking for. There's no such thing as artist development anymore. There's no A&R departments anymore. People consider consider writing a song, making a beat. You know, it's just it's just, just changed so drastically. When somebody tells me, yeah, I, I wrote this song and it's just a beat that, you know, I'm do not misunderstand me. I'm not putting today's artists down, but it's almost insulting to a person like me to come from where I've come from, where I've seen music come from, to consider a beat the entire song, you know? Um, I, I just don't get it. No argument here, John. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was, I was um, surprised when I heard a kid call rap music. And then I had to wrap my head around that, no pun intended that this is their music. This is what they yeah. call music, so I have to go with that. This is their music. It's not music to me. It's street poetry with rhythm, and that's fine, but if you want to call that music, then it's your music. Go ahead. But, Carl, you know, it's, it's been around since we were kids. I mean, the, well, the difference... Well, Louis Jordan probably was back in the 30s. Well, was not rapping. only Louis Jordan, but uh, Red Fox, uh, yeah, uh, yeah. Last Poets, you know, come on. Those, but at the time they were X-rated and they were put in a a, a special part of the uh, record store. And yeah. as a kid, you know, we had right. to sneak and listen to them, and our parents weren't, you know, Blow that fly. sort of thing. But but it's been around forever. It's been around forever. Yeah. So Rudy uh, Moore, <laughs> ju jump jump in ahead several years. Uh, the end of the '90s, you guys had uh, an issue. There was some group that was 
ah. or something like that. Um, just real quickly, can you kind of encapsulate what happened there? Uh, I don't know quite how to put this, but at any rate, I LTD had stopped performing and that sort of thing. And I was feeling the urge to uh, attempt to, you know, keep the name Revise. going. Keep, yeah. And uh, so I started looking around for people <clears throat> who could, who could, uh, I thought were qualified to do uh, an LTD show. And inadvertently, I shared my idea with this one particular person and probably a little bit too much information. And he took it, it was a guy out of D.C., and he took it and he kind of ran with it. And by the time I found out, because he kind of kept it under wraps until, <clears throat> uh, until somebody else discovered it and called me. And by the time I heard anything about it, he had uh, put together some sort of album. He had bootlegged photos he had tried to take the name and that sort of thing and then i got blamed i got blamed for it until i was able to explain myself and and tell what happened in it and that at the particular time i didn't know anything about it until they made me aware of it and uh, fortunately uh lorenzo carnegie was able to take it into court and squash it and uh win the case and put a squash to all of it so that's how that happened but and i guess if i must take as an what? addendum to his story, just fortunately for us, the the um, the judge and court that adjudicated the case was a big LTD fan, married <laughs> on love ballad, had children, yeah, I mean, conceived children on our music, so took big offense to what had been done, and yeah. awarded us um, our trademark and all of that stuff. Nice. Had a happy ending. Had a very happy yeah. ending. How, how did you guys feel about uh, George Benson when he had the big uh, hit with his version of Love Ballad? Uh, I have a, a connecting story. We were on the Cool Jazz Festival, and uh, he was on the Cool Jazz Festival. And, of course, that's probably where he really checked out Jeffrey and heard Love Ballad, fell in love with the song. And I remember seeing him, and then he put the song out, and he had a hit with it. And I remember seeing that another cool jazz, and I said, um, George, you, you sped it up. He said, yeah, man, you know, I recorded that thing, and I went back and listened to Jeff. Man, I had to go back in the studio. There was no way I was going to do I had to do something <laughs> totally different with it. You know, and I said, yeah. okay, great. Well, I told him I love it. A great, great song, great performance. Yeah, yeah. Um, just a couple more questions. I really appreciate you guys spending the time. Um, Looking back on the incredible body of work that you guys did, um, can you each pick one album, and I know it's going to be hard, but one song that you're most proud of or is your favorite? Oh, man. <laughs> That's like you putting us in, the, in Solomon's seat now. <laughs> well, you know what? I was particularly impressed and completely fell in love with a song that we did, Promise Me. I, I, to this very day, I love the arrangement. I love the vocal arrangements of that song. I, I love what JD did with the music. I mean, it was, it still blows my mind to this day. Promise Me. Oh, yeah. Wonderful <laughs> song. I, that, that song and the one I mentioned, you know, Love Me in the Winter, those are my two favorite songs on that album. Yeah. 
Yeah. Absolutely, man. Those are beautiful. Not that they're so commercial or anything, but just the lyrics and the, the crafting of them of it. You know, yeah, it's just absolutely. so perfect. As the song as as the song is sung, you can actually see the scenario. You know yeah. what I'm saying? And it, it was just amazing. I would have to. It's very. I mean, I'm I'm feeling like Solomon now, where I've got to make a, a big choice of life and death. But I, I probably would have to go back to Love Ballad. You know, yeah. it, it was just so perfectly produced and performed. I mean, even my little part was so small in this record, but yet it was just so great. I played a flugelhorn that I had just bought from that had, was a European rotary valve flugelhorn. It's a funny looking, strange military looking brass instrument, but it sounds like a mini French horn. It had the most beautiful timbre and it worked out so great. And I mean, that had a lot to do with the way I feel about it. But when I think about sitting on the string section sessions, uh, they were just incredible. Uh, you know, the performance, we had the top string session uh, section in town. Um, and, and Wade Marcus's arrangements were just uh, amazing. So I would have to say that. And because that's probably one of the songs that I hear the most, I never get tired of it. I never feel differently about it. It puts me in the same space every time I oh. hear it. You know, if I want to feel good, all I have to do is put that record on and remember the sessions and remember. Now, here's one weird thing about it. Um, that night that we had to do the vocals, the uh, producers were a little uh, delinquent, I'm going to say. And <laughs> <laughs> we're sitting around the studio waiting. Everything is done. Now all the meetings for Jeffrey to put the crowning moment on it. And we're waiting and we're waiting and we're waiting. Finally, five o'clock in the morning, Jeffrey gets to And we're sitting there from eight o'clock. Jeffrey did that vocal at five o'clock in the morning. And you know, for a vocalist, that is a death knell to have him sit up all night and then do a lead vocal early in the morning. That's the worst thing you can ask for a vocalist. But he nailed that man. And even with all those circumstances, it just came out like a diamond, you know. Yeah. And I, as much as I love much of the other music, I, one is an unsung one, that Hello Mother. Oh, man. And, and um, uh, the one, other one on the, first, on the first record that starts off with this scene on the beach. I just love, um, God, I can't think of the name of it, but it's probably outside of the, the, the hits is one of my favorite, just because JD's writing and his arrangements, man, that man could arrange. Oh, it was just incredible. JD was amazing. He was amazing. Amazing. And had the patience of Joe. JD would sit with somebody for hours and hours till he, understood and got what the essence of it was i mean one by one he would do this and then section by section and then we yes you know, the whole thing wow you know I, I wanted to hold this up so everyone can see um this is an awesome collection came out this year has four of those five uh records on there it doesn't have the first one with love ballad but it does have the other the other four um highly recommended but um, John, I'll put you on the spot once once more. Um, you mentioned a track, but if somebody said, 
hey, I can only get one LTD album, which one would you tell them? Probably um, the one with, the, with Back in Love on it. Okay, Something to Love. Yeah. Okay. That's the one I that's the one I would have to go with. I mean wow. it was our biggest it was our biggest record and that's what people most people know us from to this day. I mean even today when we do a show when that when that particular music starts up everybody is on their feet you know and they yeah. sing it word for word so I would say that one. The Love Ballad and um Back in Love crossed over to pop. Um did you guys feel like you should have had more crossover or were you fine with the way it went you know that's not our call to make um yeah you would wish everybody wants to cross over you know because that's your wider market that's your pop market you know and you have to transcend your own genre to get there at least as as black music is set up uh james brown you know we can go down the line of people that prove that once you rise to the top of your category, now you cross over and then everybody sees it and then it becomes yeah. even bigger. Yeah, I concur. I think the way for uh, especially a black artist to cross over is to stay true to his, uh, his, his own music, his, you know, his yeah. own base. Absolutely. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Um, so many instances of, of bands not doing that and ultimately uh, fading away. Yes. So... Um, Hey, um, so where are we today? Are you guys are you guys performing? Are you playing? Are you planning to? What is what is happening with LTD as we know it today? Well, we're alive and kicking, and yeah. uh, working when we can. We've only worked—I don't know—we uh, work every year. Let me say that at least once or twice, um, and we're working to work this year, working on it. And if we're lucky, we'll probably will have a gig or two. But if not, we'll work next year. We definitely will work again. And we are putting together um, an organization that is going to help us do that. And uh, yeah. we're looking forward to that. We're, we're in negotiation with, uh, with management now. So uh, hopefully that'll work for everybody and it'll be successful. And uh, that's what we're working towards. And that's what we're looking forward to. John, you play a lot of blues too, right? <laughs> At this stage of the game, I play pretty much anything they put in front of me. <laughs> yeah, I've worked with uh, quite a few uh, blues acts. Um, one of my favorites, uh, name, his name is Johnny Rawls. He's one of the, in my opinion, he's one of the uh, only left soul bluesmen in the world. And he's quite prolific and... Uh, I mean, the man is an amazing uh, artist, performer, and song, and uh, he's also my very, very, very good friend. Uh, another one is James Armstrong, um, and currently I'm working with a gentleman uh, by the name of Bernard Allison, who has a Bernard very famous Luther father. Luther, Luther's son, right? Yes. Yeah. That's correct. That is correct. And these are all top guys. I love them to death. And uh, it's, it's, it's working out really well for me. Excellent. And, and Carl, you also teach? Did I hear that right? I do. Uh, I've, I've done stuff for the Tennessee Arts Council and Tennessee um, School Boards and Georgia as well. Um, I've done stuff like, um, you know, 
um, teach physics and music classes to show what the real ingredients of music uh, are. And, uh, and I've also worked with many blues acts and rap acts. I've done, you know, movies and a bunch of commercials and stuff. I did all the Ray Charles commercials. I was in those big bands with You the Right One, Baby. Um, I did all the Bonos Nike commercials uh, back in, you know, the day. Um, and uh, I, I toured with Little Milton. I, I was toured with Solomon Burke off and on for 20 years. Oh. And uh, so I've, I, I love playing the blues and uh, and blues artists as well. And also I've toured with, you know, other pop acts like the Temps and, you know, whenever um, I did a lot of work with the Phoenix Horns, as you know, the, um, the um, Earth, Wind and Fire horn section, which would contract themselves out to artists to do touring. So I did the Temps tour, tour with them. And, uh, you know, I, I've done a lot of stuff like that. Wow. And I worked with LL Cool J for a couple of years. I was with him during Mama Said Knock You Out, did the Grammys with him and all of that stuff. So that was pretty exciting. But nothing has been as exciting as LTD in my life. And, oh, yeah. Uh, Absolutely. It's Absolutely. always been my priority. And how can uh, people best keep track of, of, of both of you guys and LTD collectively? Well, I, had, I do have a Facebook page. And uh, that's one way. Um, our management is very social media savvy. So they're trying to get us to get into the Twitters and all of that stuff. And I'm sure that's necessary these days. So uh, that will be possible soon as well. Mm -hmm. And do you have any uh, parting message you'd like to get out there to all these fans who's, who, who you've met so much in their lives and, uh, you know, you start getting misty-eyed when you think about it because it touches people so much. <laughs> You're about to make me do that, man. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, we owe everything to people that hear us. If we just make the music and nobody hears it, it means nothing. It has no meaning. It's from soul to soul that it works. It's us communicating to another soul. And when I see people evoke to laugh or cry, that just makes it for me. Because, I mean, I figure we're like prophets. And... A prophet has never realized in his own hometown. He's got to go out. People think he's yeah. crazy when he's walking around talking stuff in his own town. You got to go out and speak to people and, and move people. And when I go across the world and do that, I know that I was not supposed to be a doctor. I was supposed to be a musician doing just what I'm doing, speaking soul to soul to people. And that's what I try to do every day, improve myself. I'm only a journeyman musician. I don't consider myself any star or any of this or that. I'm a journeyman musician that studies and practices and try to get better every day. To maybe, you know, take heed to that. Be very honest with, with your thoughts and, and your output and, and stick with it. Stick with your guns and believe in yourself. And, and believe me, if you do that, good things will happen. It's just the law of the universe. Carl, I, I, I disagree with you. I think that uh, you are a doctor of music, as all of us are. You know, I mean, I mean, we go all the way, we go all around the world, and you know, uh, I believe that music has healing properties, and and and, uh, and and people live their lives through some of the music. I mean, you're just doctors of music, man, and that's how I feel about it. Well, I could go on for days about that because I have studied neuropsychology and, and and the neurology of music. 
and it's in the last 10 years it has it has gotten so huge and what we have learned the power of music we've always known it was mysterious and divine but to understand how it helps stroke victims and how oh, it brings people back and it's yeah, yeah, just, yeah. it's a mystery that we probably will, will never know all the answers but we know it works and we know it is very effective and just imagine a world without it yeah so, music heal absolutely well it certainly has uh, uh touched so many uh millions over the years from you guys and uh, talking with you today you know i can see how it permeated the group that honesty of ltd and that um authenticity you know and um and positivity so um thank you so much to both of you guys again thank you so much for sharing your time and for telling these great stories and, and keep on keeping on with LTD. We need to see you guys out there again. All right, Scott, thank you. Hey, I have to say the wait was more than worth it. I certainly learned a lot and hope you got as much of a kick out of those stories and incredible musical history as I did. As much as I love LTD's recordings, thanks to these candid insights, they now have another special layer of meaning to me. What an amazing, enduring body of work. A huge thanks again out to superlative musicians, Carl Vickers and John McGee. And also, as always, a sincere thank you to you, our viewers and listeners. Thank you so much. Be sure to look out for upcoming Truth and Rhythm episodes and catch up with previous installments at FunkyStuff.net, on YouTube, iTunes, and other leading providers. Subscribe to Truth and Rhythm Go to the Funkin' Stuff channel on YouTube and hit subscribe. If you've already done so, get a friend or family to do so. Support the show. Support the great musicians, funk, R&B, jazz, soul that's featured on this show. Show the love. Much appreciated. And I want to hear from you. I keep hearing from more uh, viewers all the time. And it's so uh, much fun and welcome. I'd uh, love to hear from you. So write me at scottg at funkinstuff.net. And you should see that on the screen right about now. Keep that flow coming. You know, the show's for you, so it's all about the feedback and support. For now, until next time, as always, this is Scott Dr. Jigsbow Fine saying, keep on vibrating to the rhythm of the one. <laughs>